a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant minds and looking at the world around them. How do they 360 themselves and 360 the world? Jamie and Neil, the hosts, ask many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having uh, a wonderful, wonderful morning. Um, whether you've done uh, some reading or you've just had breakfast or you've done some meditation, um, taking that moment in that morning to understand your needs, understand what your body's feeling and breathing. Breathing is life. I, I think a lot of people underestimate how important it is to breathe. If you get more oxygen in your body, your brain is going to work better. You're going to be more relaxed. You're going to think better. So I think that's what everyone needs to do in the morning. When they first wake up, take that really huge deep deep breath in you and you'll be set for the day. So uh, talking about um, being really set for the day, I've got a brilliant guest with me. Uh, he is the producer of Secret Cinema, which of, I don't know if you know Secret Cinema. I mean, if you don't know, you're a bit mental. Um, because it is a brilliant, um, interactive, immersive uh, experience. I mean, they've had like shows like Blade Runner, Moulin Rouge. Um, I mean, that's just a, that's just two names that I can think of, and and I've been to both of them. I think they were absolutely amazing. And you dress up and you and you go and you experience this completely, totally new world. Um, and I absolutely love it. So I'm really excited to to speak to him. So hey, Andrea, how are you doing? Hey, Jamie. Thank you very much. I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. So whereabouts are you chatting with me today? Whereabouts are you in the world? I am currently in Tuscany, um, near a beautiful town called Capaldio, ah. uh, which is in the south of Tuscany. So I'm very, very lucky. There's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sunny day and there's uh, birds chirping uh, all over the place. And I've got a cat sitting next to me as well. Oh, amazing. I mean, it, it's, it's what I say, like sometimes it is just better to get out of the city and reconnect with nature. And if you have that, uh, that opportunity, why should you not go out and just be connected? Because we were talking about beforehand, every morning you're going for a swim in your parents' pool. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I had a pool. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky in that um, my parents have built this house over the, over the years. Uh, my dad's an architect, so he, we bought it when it was pretty much um, a relic. And, and they built it up, and it's absolutely magnificent. And you go a bit of a swimming pool, and in the morning, before getting into the rhythm of work and calls and all that, I just go for a couple of laps in it helps me um sort of get seen for the day it's it's so true because my, my my at the moment i'm literally um in the middle of a building site because my my dad is a uh, senior site construction manager well used to be and retired and he's redoing he keeps redoing the garden and like extensions and stuff so they've got like all the he, he got me whole um hulking up uh, massive tiles from this massive van outside and they've got sand and they're just rebuilding everything and then I can probably understand from uh, my, your point of view of like your dad um, re uh, like looking at the the house and envisioning what it possibly could be because that's the same for my my family. I, I've had the house for I think they've had the house for like thirty years now, um, so it must be quite exciting to see the house develop every so often. It's it's wonderful. Every every time I come, there's a, there's something slightly different, and and it's very it's got a character this house you know it's got it's got memories it took. it's got stories built in and you can you can really tell that the love that's gone into it it's it's my special place i come here to yeah mind relax and reconnect 
my parents might be selling their their house next year and i was saying to them i mean you're free to do whatever you want because it's obviously your home but it it's it's a sort of sacred place where you grew up grew up and if you want to bring partners and friends there to a new place you're like oh this is this is not where i grew up this is kind of my parents new place and it feels a bit weird but when you have a sort of place that's that you've grown up in and it's been it's been there within within their their hands for so long it feels so much more special and so i always try to convince them go don't sell up don't sell up (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly that's it no it's when you've got um home is where memories are when you've where you've got memories right Mm, Um, mm, mm. yeah so so tell me what was your childhood like so your dad's an architect what what's your your mum do my mum works for, uh, she's sort of an assistant that works for the company that deals with um, state pensions uh, here in Italy. Um, so very, very different from my dad, but they're, they're real sort of uh, pair, you know, they, they, this house was definitely built by them together. And my mum uh, is the one that takes care of all the odd jobs in the house. And we call her Mario because uh. she's, she's, she wears the trousers in the, in the house as it were. Um, uh, um, but yeah, so kind of my dad is the creative one in the family. He's always got a little bit of a sketchbook going and he's always sort of um, uh, you know, hiding in various different bits of the house and with his pencils and pens. And um, so I, I get that side of, of, of me from my dad, whereas my mom is more the organizational and the, sort of the grafting side, which in the world of producing is just as um necessary and helpful mm-hmm. so i think i think my my career is really a reflection of of uh both of their uh personalities and careers and and yeah mm. and so did you go to school in rome then yeah i grew up in rome uh, i had the privilege of going to an international school in rome so it was i grew up in rome which is a which is a city which is full of um history and sort of uh it's it's a uh, it's full of legacies as well, right? So it's mm. full of families that have been here. It's not it's it's different in the UK in the sense that families tend to stay in Rome and grow up in Rome, and so you've got all these uh, sort of established notions of uh, what families should be like and how people should behave and that sort of stuff. Um, but I was lucky enough to go to an international school, so I was um, sort of exposed to a very different world and a very different upbringing. Uh, with people, with friends, sort of moving in from all different parts of the world, which which is something that I love because now I can go anywhere in the world and I always have a couch to crash on, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Mm. Um, and so then for me, that the sort of natural progression was to leave Rome and uh, take all of this cultural baggage with me and, and move to London, where I moved when I was 17 to start my degree. Uh, and then uh, sort of found this job at Secret Cinema, so I an intern, and I fell in love with this company. I fell in love with the mad, beautiful people that work at it, and uh, sort of settled. Mm. Um, and what, so I, I was actually meant to go to the room, the room this week, actually. Because <laughs> oh. my, my best friend, uh, their family's from Rome. So I was meant to come this week, but then uh, work and all the situation happened. So I was like, I, I unfortunately can't go. But I, I always like to go, but at least once or twice a year to Rome to see him and his family. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But what makes, because from, from knowing people from Rome, um, it's a very um, settling place. I mean, it's such a beautiful, uh, cultural, warming place. Why, why was it necessary to leave 
uh, Rome and to go to London and why London rather than any other city that you could have chosen? Well, I think Rome, uh, Rome, we have a lot of, of, Rome is a quite, quite a static place, I think, I feel like. Rome, we, we, we reached our peak uh, 2,000 years ago, I feel like, and right now it's, there's nothing new coming out of Rome. It's very stale. So I think um, for me, it was, you know, having a fascination in theater, having a fascination in the arts, having a fascination in music, it, it was a natural fit for me. Milan would have been a more natural fit, but if you're from Rome, you hate Milan. If you're from Milan, you hate Rome. So there was a bit of a sort of an, a, um, a stubbornness on my part not to go to Milan. And so we had some relatives in London, actually. So it was a, it was a city that I grew up um, sort of, I, I used to go to London quite a bit growing up and then seeing my relatives there. Um, and I was always, you know, I, 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 walking down Regent Street and Oxford Circus and the lights and the people and the fashion and the, and everyone was different. Everyone was colorful. Everyone, everyone was bright. So from, from a very young age, I was always like London, it, it, it seems like the place for me. And I think also growing up in Italy, you've got this sort of fascination with the UK, with its musical history, with, you know, um, it, it, it was something that I, it was one of those places where you go and you're like, you know what? I'm at home here. It was mm-hmm. just a gut feeling. Um, and then uh, the idea was uh, I didn't want to settle anywhere. So the idea was for me to do my degree there and then move. Um, I wanted to go to Rio. Rio is another one of those places where I'm just like, every time I go, there's just such an energy, which is incredible. And you can, it, it just fills me up with, with life and music. And, and so, but then I found this job. I found I found a great mentor in Fabian, who is the founder of Secret Cinema, mm-hmm. and he took me under his wing at a very young age. I started at Secret Cinema when I was nineteen, and he gave me this fantastic opportunity. And he sat, sat me down uh, after I'd done I finished my internship and said, "Look, if you want a job here, I'll, I'll be very happy uh, to give you a job." And so my adventure then started. Then and you know, he he. I will be forever grateful to him because he has really helped me grow from a professional, but also especially from a personal point of view, and has given me so much uh, trust over these years that um, I wouldn't have accomplished what I have without him. Mm-hmm. And and how did that connection come about then? That connection came about. So I started working at Secret Cinema as an intern, as I said. So I found an internship there and. Um, the first show I worked on was um, Terry Gilliam's Brazil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, I started working on opening night and it was night that Terry Gilliam and his daughter Holly were visiting with some other friends and um, I remember the, the Fabian was <laughs> trying to find someone to find him some site plans so that Terry Gilliam could sign them and um, nobody knew where the site plans were I had no clue what site plans were uh, but I just remember sprinting into the production office and sort of scouring through every bit of papers, trying to find the side plans, and I brought them to him. And I think that's where we sort of clicked. And then the, the, as soon after that, a couple of days after that, I actually started working on the project that I was supposed to be working on, which was Saturday Night Fever, um, who was produced by um, uh, Sophie Kendrick. And um, on, on that, it, it, I, I just worked really, really hard, and I think he saw how uh, passionate I was about it. And I remember actually having a conversation with him uh, outside in the smoking area. And he was like, oh, what, what do you want to do when I grow up, when you grow up? Um, and I was like, I want to run Secret Cinema. <laughs> so I think he, he sort of understood what type of person I was from 
uh, some very few conversations and you saw how passionate I was and you know when when you're 19 like the world is your absolute your your oyster I have sort of saying cliches but you've got a naivety which is important and a sort of self-confidence that um that makes you have mass big dreams right Mm -hmm. and uh, i think he saw that i was a dreamer yeah it's so important to actually just dream isn't it i think uh, i think we are now in in a generation where it's okay to um aim for something greater than your family or greater than you think that you can possibly get to because it's just it 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 like people like us who are ambitious to create and tell stories and to collaborate need to get to the point of where they are envisioning themselves and i think it's really healthy for people to be in that sort of mindset and i think a lot of people with their families and friends who come from very small uh, places like I'm from a village town um, and Rome is potentially in some areas very small minded. It, it's it, it's difficult sometimes when you have these massive visions and actually you want to pursue them. But I think your your environment, your surrounding tries to tell you why do you need to do that? Absolutely. And, and again, it goes back to I think what you're saying is exactly the reason why I left Rome. Right? I needed to surround myself with an environment that would allow uh, my dreams to become reality, right? Mm. And Rome simply wasn't that, and I found that in London, and that's that's why I settled. But I, especially, as you said, especially in creative work, you have to be confident about what you're doing. You're putting your your your, your sort of mind on the plate uh, on the table for everyone to judge constantly, right? Mm. And if you if you're troubled with self doubt, it can really cause creativity to sort of. Um, Esther, right? Yeah, but you it's need, you, but you need I, to, I, yeah. th- I, th- I think I think as creative people though, I think we all we all have that sort of self doubt. You know that um, imposter syndrome they call it. Oh, yeah. uh, it it's it, it's quite difficult to shake that. I mean, how do you shake that? Like, do you have it that kind of imposter syndrome, or do you have that sort of like fear I, sometimes of like, oh, I'm in, I'm over my over my head, but I'm actually gonna move my fear aside and actually gonna pursue and, and move forward. Constantly, constantly, and it's actually something that I've been working on, uh, sort of over the past year, especially during the lockdown, and sort of trying to um, get away from this. You know, I'm a producer, right? So I, I, I'm involved in the creative work, but I'm not the creative on on the job. I work with creative directors who are the creators on this job, and there's al- I've always got this feeling where I am not allowed maybe to speak about creative things, or I shouldn't be just because I'm not the creative on the job. But actually. What we do is is a collaborative process. It's incredibly, um, you know, there's loads of people that come together to make these shows, and my input, my creative input, is just as worth as anyone else's. You know, I've got the experience. I've got. I just need the confidence. But it, it, it is something that actually um, I've, I've noticed more and more. And I think the way I've tackled it is by doing things that um, mean I'm uh, sort of. That, that put me outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. so uh i've started for example doing some creative writing which is something that i'd never done uh, but i sort of picked up pen and paper and started writing short stories right and that was something that uh, as, as a kid i always had this relationship with writing which was a very um it, it was like a battle you know because my handwriting is awful nobody can understand my handwriting and so that was a barrier for people 
even just to read anything that I wrote. They couldn't really understand it, not even because of the grammar that I used, but actually they couldn't even read the letters on the paper, you know? So it, it, it was, it, it's probably the art form that I felt the farthest from. So I, I picked up pen and paper and I started writing and sort of forced myself to write and that sort of stuff. And eventually my writing got quite good, I want to say, not quite good, but it got decent. And that really gave me the confidence to say, look, you know what, even in something that you felt, um, you, you felt some real, that's been a real issue for you growing up, you can actually um, grow and become better at it, you know? And mm-hmm. I did a similar thing with sketching, where I started sketching and started drawing and that sort of stuff. And then these sketches came out quite well. And so I think it's about putting yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable and, and sort of um, living through the uncomfortable bit. And then realizing that you can actually achieve uh, some success in in things that you might be uncomfortable in as well. Yeah, but I I always I always say to people about transferable skills that why can't you write? Why why not? And I think that's I think that's problem with society today is that we're sometimes um, told or forced to do one particular thing when actually many of your skills that you studied in and and do on a daily basis and and you work with a lot of creators and you taking all this knowledge actually can be transferred into other different areas and why just because you are labeled or you have a position of a as a producer can you not be a creative why can't you write because you've seen it you see it on a daily basis how it all works why should you not be able to do that exactly and you see it and you absorb it and you know i think it's about cultivating your passions right Creatives get inspiration from external sources like anyone, right? Like, if you want to be a great theatre director, I believe that you got to go to as much theatre as possible and, and take inspiration from other people's work, you know, and sometimes even take the work and adapt it into something new. And, and, and I think that's part of the creative process. So it's something that we, that all of us naturally do. And then the next step is just um, taking agency over it and actually... Uh, getting a pen up and writing or sketching or singing or whatever, but actually going from someone who absorbs culture to someone who creates culture. And, and only you can do that, right? Nobody can can do that for you. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of time it's about just about starting. I think people, it's, exactly. the, it's the procrastination, the fear of actually going, I've never, I've never um, entered this unknown space before, but actually I think this is really exciting. Um, but I'm just going to give it a try. And I think going without any expectation, but just be explorative. I think if you try to go with huge expectations or an end goal, which a lot of people do in new um, uh, areas of their life, I think that becomes slightly overwhelming and then stops you from actually pursuing it. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like it's just a fear of being judged, right? And it's a fear, as you said, it's imposter syndrome. It's a fear of, oh, but I'm not supposed to be doing this because there's other people who have, who have trained and are you know are professionals in this who should be doing it but actually there's loads of examples of people who have come up from you know places where they don't have education or uh, just because they started doing something and then that become top of the game but uh, yeah i agree don't go in it with with expectations just, just practice and don't be afraid to be judged and if you're afraid to be judged then just maybe start by keeping things to yourself not sharing them you know and growing up that confidence just by just on your own Mm, it's important but i like for me it's just about just putting it out there like just being explorative i think if you i mean the 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 thing is that you can only 
do what you do and the only thing that you can actually control is your own reaction you can't control any other reaction so whatever you do you're always going to be judged anyway like that's a given oh, yeah. people are going to judge whatever you do so you might as well just do it because there is there is no way that you can't stop them judging so why fear about judgment when they're already judging you anyway absolutely i mean especially i think especially today when you're subject to you know all sorts of things all sorts of comments on social media and that sort of stuff you know you you're never going to be able to please anyone everyone right you're never going to be able to create something that everyone universally uh, admires you're always going to face criticism so if you are able to to jump right into it absolutely do it just jump right into it yeah. and, and enjoy the swim yeah because ultimately things have to start that are outside of the norm i'm i'm probably probably sure I, don't, I can't guarantee this but i imagine when secret cinema first started they, they might have um had some backlash from people or they probably didn't get all yeses from all the investors and all people really understood it but actually yeah. the head person at uh, or the group of people that were the responsible for the birth of uh, secret cinema just had a really clear vision like the same thing for the director and writer for star trek when it first started people were just a bit like this is really odd. This is never going to happen. And he was like, no, it's going to happen. I really see a vision. And then it's a billion dollar franchise. I think it, sometimes people are afraid of something that they are known, that they're known of. And they're like, well, I don't understand how it's going to work. And, and the person or the people that are driving it just go, you know what? You don't need to worry because I've got it. I've got the vision. You just got to follow me. Exactly. Exactly. I was actually reading a, a really interesting book re recently by, um, a chef who opened the restaurant called Silos, which is a zero waste restaurant, and he talks about exactly that. There needs to be someone who, with with the self confidence and the drive, to go. You know what? I'm gonna take this massive jump into the unknown, but I know that there's potential, and I know no matter what you say, that uh, it will it will happen. Mm. And, and you know, there's loads. Of, like for example, we were talking with one of the one of our great supporters at Serious Cinema is Bob Gale, who is um, co-produced Back to the Future. And he told us the story about how he went to, I think, maybe 30 studios and got 30 rejections. And then only at the end did the studio um, say yes to him, right? And if he if he had stopped at any point in that process, then we wouldn't have the Back to the Future trilogy that so many people love and is cherished by so many people. But you, you need that drive. Isn't that amazing though? I love I love those sort of stories where he went to 30 different studios and, and then only one of them said yes. Like... I just got, like, yeah, they were too scared of the incest storyline. Everyone was scared of the incest, you know, how he goes to the, his mom and he goes back to the future and back into the past and he sits at the table with his mom and his mom's virgin, <laughs> obviously not knowing that he's a son. So and then everyone was scared of putting that in. But imagine, imagine being that executive who turns down Back to the Future and thinking about it now. Well, I'm I I, I always think about the people that turn down Harry Potter. I'm just like, you must be actually oh, yeah. shooting yourself in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. Or even or even the people that the people with Star Trek who just was like, naturally, no, I'm not going to fund you. And he made it all from his own back, your favours and all that sort of thing. And then he got a tiny bit of money from a studio. But like all the studios that said no, I mean, it, it's the same. It's the same sort of situation. And I even love the, the story of how Rocky was made. Like Sylvester Stallone was like... He was homeless and um, he wrote a script and he wasn't getting any acting jobs. So he wrote a script, he wrote Rocky, 
and he pitched it to some studio they were like okay we love the script but we don't want you in it and he was like no 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 you've got the script but i've got to be starring in it um and at this point he's homeless he's like oh i I mean i could also live on the streets for a bit longer it doesn't really bother me i've got nothing to lose so they offered him a hundred thousand no they had no offered him fifty thousand and he was like no 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 deal then another week later a hundred thousand no deal no deal and then it kept on pushing it up, and by like the fifth or sixth or seventh offer, it came to like I don't know, four hundred, five hundred thousand or something like that. And then he was like, okay, okay, yeah, that's fine. As long as as long as I'm in it, and they agreed to it, and then he he, he I mean, it was a massive success. But at that point of that kind of grit and determination to really turn down all that kind of money, and knowing <clears throat> in his heart the vision that he needed to be in it, like he needed to be this role. Um, it just, I mean, speaks massive volumes for people's persistence in those sort of situations. I mean, look at Michaela Cole and turning down a million from Netflix, no? Who? who? What was this? Um, Michaela Cole, who's got that um, series on Channel 4. Um, what's it called? Um, I Will Destroy You. Well, and, and so what, I he, made, uh, he got an offer from so Netflix. So she went to. She got a million pounds oh. offer from Netflix, and she knew that uh, her, the story in the series was so much more worth worth so much more than that. But she turned it down. Imagine being an up and coming actress and sort of um, turning down a million pounds from Netflix. I think it takes such um, courage to do that. I wonder what her agent was talk- talk- telling her. <laughs> <laughs> I always, well, I always uh, think, I always whatever, think the people, whatever she was telling her at the time. I'm sure that they're saying the opposite now. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. So, I, so what's happened to the script then? Is it, is it, I'm assuming it's gone to another studio. It's become, yeah, and it's become the biggest, uh, the biggest series at the moment in BBC. What's it uh, called? I mean, destroy you. Right. Okay. I need to check this out. Check it out. It's a beautiful story. It's a harrowing story about um, sort of sexual assault and racism and. Twitter things, but because because really, really well, at the at the end of the day, only yeah. only you know your actual ultimate worth. Like that's that that's yeah, exactly. the thing. And so, I think it was like Joe Rogan. Uh, is it the Joe Rogan the podcaster? He sold his podcast to Netflix yeah. for a hundred million pound dollars. A hundred million dollars. He was like, look, my audience are solid. What I talk about is solid. I am worth a hundred million. Like go in bold, do you know what I mean? Drop the drop the hundred oh, mil. Yeah. But now it's but now it's uh, also yeah. it's now it's also opened up the space for podcasters to actually go. There is a space to make money and to be commercial. A hundred percent. I mean, I think podcast is one of, <laughs> one of the. I mean, it's an it's a natural evolution of radio for me, you know, and it's it's something that there's so many podcasts, and I and uh, you can you can find. You can find out so many interesting things about some some podcasts. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's there's one podcast I I listen to. I can't remember what it's called, but it basically just tells you random facts about life. Oh, fantastic! I gotta I gotta check that out. Yeah, I'll send. Sorry, I'll find. I'll I'll find it. Say gonna go. Uh, your cat. Yeah, sorry. I I um I just got a second. I just started started scratching me back. Uh, what what cat do you have? <laughs> Well, it's not actually my cat, but um, I, I say it's my cat, but I think it's a neighbor's. But basically, basically, you stolen your ba- you stolen your neighbor's cat. I, st- I, st- I stole my neighbor's cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cat, see, 
I'm a dog sort of person. A cat's just for me. Just are they? They're so independent. They go off. They come. They eat some food. And they, but dogs are loyal. Dogs were like when you're when you're dead in a house or whatever. They will sit by your bed. A cat would never do that. I know. Uh, I I never had a pet, but um, if if I were to have a pet, it would be a dog. It would be a beagle. Absolutely oh, Beagle. But, um, I've literally been looking after uh, and staying with my friends in London who have Beagle, have a Beagle, and it's so, so cute. Yeah, they're, they're high energy. And, and they and, eat and... always. Oh, yeah. They... Oh, yeah, just like me. Yeah, she she eat she would eat non she would be hungry constantly and they'd be like sorry you can't have any food and then she'd be like running into the the kitchen trying to have food all the time like apparently it's the only dog that actually can eat themselves to death apparently so oh uh, I didn't know that apparently so okay. it, or and it was also another breed as well but one of the two yeah one of the two dogs that can eat themselves to death because they love food so much what a, what a crazy thing like, be... like don't um fish do that as well fish i don't know fish yeah, might do, gold, that. Fish, I don't... I think, do that as well. what cut what kind of fish i mean there's lots of fish goldfish i think eat themselves to eat themselves to death i think you need to be quite careful about how much you feed them because they just eat wow i mean i think they forget about having eaten and just keep on eating no i think i think beagles know and i think the beagles know that they're eating but they don't really care they're just like i love food so i'm just going to keep eating <laughs> I, I get them though. I get them. Yeah, you. Especially you, being back if, here. If, if you were a dog, you, if you were a dog, you'd be a beagle. I definitely would be. Yeah. If I if I was a dog, I would definitely be. What would I be? I'd probably be like uh, a French bulldog. <laughs> oh, I love a French I, bulldog. I though. love a good Frenchie. I've got like loads of Frenchies. My friends all mm. know that I love Frenchies, and they they give me like uh, little ornaments of frenchies <laughs> and so i'm sort of manifesting all these frenchies around me of these ornaments because one day i will get a frenchie at some point in my life Absolutely. i mean I, I used to travel quite a lot um before lockdown sad times um and hopefully <laughs> next year next year i'll travel a bit more but i i just uh, i need to find a moment in my in my life to be able to have a dog and 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 look after it properly because it's not fair if you're traveling all the time and it's going to different people and stuff it really needs a kind of a father or a mother kind of figure yeah yeah so no exactly i mean that, yeah no go carry on carry on no exactly i mean that's like anyone like anyone i think they need lots of love and attention and care mm -hmm. so what i want to so just to summarize is kind of the, the it's this beautiful kind of conversation that we digressed into many different uh sections which i really really love this um what would do yours? So you've cut your 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 boy from um from from Rome. You went to London to study, and then you got an internship at one of the best, like for me, one of the best immersive theatrical companies in the UK. Um, what would be kind of be your mantra, um, or your kind of like quote or phrase that you would um that you would kind of recite to yourself, or you would give to someone else who are in times of success or times of uh, doubt. So there's there's a couple I, I think that so whenever we whenever we put on a show Fabian always picks a quote and um, quite often the quote those quotes are quite beautiful and they sort of stick with me right and this, those quotes then those quotes then end up being the basis for the creative plan or sort of the inspiration for the treatment of, of the show and there's a couple that kind of came to mind when you when you mentioned this and one of this one of them is um, some of us are in the gutters but we're all looking at the stars that I think for me it just it just reminds me that there's always something better and even even though there is 
there's dark times, um, even with the stars, and, and imagine yourself in a better place. So there's that one. And then the other one is a quote from Real K. Thank you. I'm also pronouncing things, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I want to be with those who know secret things or else alone. And that really uh, is, is sort of my ethos in life. I really want to be with people who are interesting and magical and, and sort of set themselves apart from um, the mass. And I've surrounded myself with um, some beautiful, creative people that I, I lean on and rely on a lot, uh, especially when I'm in some sort of darker times or, or darker moods. I, I sort of tend to cope with uh, any struggles or any sort of setbacks by by talking to people and getting advice. And I'm not someone who, I'm not someone who's afraid to you know, have a cry or show my emotions. I think it's very important for especially men to be able to to, to talk to people. And and um, so yeah, that's the that's the other quote that I would say. I, I that totally resonates with me. I really, really does. Uh, being surrounded and having that connection with people around you, I think, is equally important to be one with yourself, but and to and to be, uh, to be to be to be happy by yourself and to really have that self content, but also to really have those strong connections to the people uh, that that are supporting you in your pursuit for um your career but also personal life goals i think it's really important so i think a lot and i think a lot of people can resonate with that with the phrase and, and quote that you've said yeah it's, it's it, as you said it, i agree with, with what you said as well i think it's very important to be uh, comfortable in your own skin and to be uh, comfortable in your own and i think it's just as important you know something to take yourself away from mm. um, uh, social situations and just take a step back and, and look in more. Mm -hmm. But it's just important to, to be able to lean on to people when you, when you need to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to say thank you so much for giving me your time. It's been really, really fascinating to chat to you and, and to understand your your journey and also I really, I was saying this before the podcast, I really, really hope you guys come back so strong for 2021. And I can't wait to see what you guys uh, re uh, unveil for your production next year because I'm, uh, I'm, you know me, I said to you, I'm a massive, massive fan of Secret Cinema. So I want to say thank you again for giving me your time. Thank you, Jamie. And yeah, we, we will absolutely be back stronger than ever. Boom. Our team, our team is too good not to, you know. Uh, but thank you, thank you so much. It was a fascinating chat for me as well. Um, and yeah, look forward to hearing back.